This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. It was the 2006 World Cup final, Italy versus France. It was the most, it's the most watched sporting event in the world. The pressure of an entire country weighs on the 11 players that take to the pitch of each team. The captain of France, Zinedine Zidane, steps up as captain to take a penalty for his country. These are kicks that these players have taken thousands of times in their life, yet over and over, we see the best players in the world choke, freeze up, and miss the penalty shot. But what did Zidane do? With the entire world watching, he strolls to the spot and casually chips the ball in in one of the riskiest style shots you can see in a final. The confidence it takes to do that in a World Cup final is immeasurable. So what separates athletes like this? How can Michael Jordan hit the game winner in the final second 28 times in his career? How is it that Serena Williams is the only player to win three Grand Slams coming from match point down? What do athletes like this do differently? Today, we're going to discuss the nine traits of specifically endurance athletes that make them successful. As always, please remember the Athletes Unwritten Rule. If you enjoy our podcast and find them helpful, the best thing you can do for us is share the podcast on your social media or to another endurance athlete who you think might like it. And of course, this episode is brought to you by our proud sponsor, Giant Australia. For all your giant bike, training and racing needs, ride life, ride giant. Dad, welcome back to another episode, starting with our normal first segment, what are you grateful for? Great topic. And as I say this a lot, I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, there's a lot to, to really get out of, uh, out of yours and my discussion on this one. You should Can't say wait. to me one day, I'm not really looking forward to this topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, and this is a good topic. Um my gratitude, actually, just this morning, I got a text message from one of our uh, one of our athletes, and um, he just wanted to text me to say um, how much he loved a past episode that he went back and re-listened to, and he said that he was swelling up with emotion listening to it again the second time, and he just wanted to send a message to say thank you for for creating that opportunity to to move me emotionally um and it just so motivated me to to train for this week so yeah i'm i'm really grateful for feedback like that and um if we're having an effect on people i think this is we're achieving the goal of what we set about to do with this podcast yeah for um anyone that wants to go listen to it that was he was talking about episode 104 which was ultimate pre-race preparation uh, we really went through a lot of detail about how to prepare for a race really well right before a race and uh, the last 10 minutes specifically he was talking about we spoke about the emotion behind racing and events and, and you know, getting to the start line of an Ironman and um, I was definitely moved by it as well. So um, yeah, go back and listen to that if you are interested. My gratitude is uh, I found myself the other day um, drinking a coffee and just saying, far out, I'm grateful to have coffee. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's perfect for the podcast. So <laughs> I have said that before, but uh, I, it's, it's a very simple one. I find it hilarious because... I just don't have, I just don't drink coffee. So yeah, yeah. I, I love the fact that people uh, really look forward to their coffee when at any part of the day. I think that's fantastic. The irony, Dad, we've spoken about this before, but um, on our kitchen, mum has some artwork and I think it says something like, something along the lines of smile and, and coffee, smile and a coffee is the perfect day or something like that. I don't know if you know the exact wording. And I would always look at that growing up because I never drank coffee and just think, that's so silly. How can coffee be <laughs> one of the best parts of your day? But uh, alas, as you've gotten older and I've, I've started to enjoy it more, I, I agree with mum. So I, I still think it's silly. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, a quick what's caught your attention today because we've got a lot to talk about with nine traits of successful athletes. But uh, the big news in tri- the triathlon world is the PTO announced their tour, um, which has been much spoken about uh, in the off-season, about what they're going to do this year and the competition between PTO and Ironman, um, really leveling up their, their prize purse for athletes and trying to create a really awesome tour experience uh, to create some great competition and great viewing, which I really think is is going to happen and they announced that it's an eight race series over the year and athletes, if they want to um, compete for the prize money, must do four races throughout the year plus the grand final, um, which is their version of the world championships, which is really epic. And uh, what the hype they've created is awesome. And they've gotten basically the top 20 female athletes in the world all agree to, to sign up to the series. And they got most of the male athletes they wanted, but uh, the male uh, category was a bit more split as there's still a lot of athletes that want to focus on the Ironman World Championships at Kona um, and all the Ironman races. And there's a few athletes who can step up from Olympic distance to half Ironman, but they're focused on Paris this year. So um, not the, the female field is absolutely stacked and the male not so much, but regardless, it's very exciting. And uh, there's been a lot spoken about. We don't want to go into it in full detail, but for, from our perspective, we can't wait to see how the athletes manage the season. They manage the training load, they manage the race load, what their training preparation is going to be, because a lot of athletes just put out all their training blocks um, relatively openly online now. Um, how are they going to peak multiple times throughout the year? How are they going to stack their races? What are their race tactics going to be when they're racing each other so regularly? This just doesn't happen as much uh, in previous years where athletes are lining up against the same field over and over. It normally just happens at the big races, like the US Open or the European Open or... Um, the world champs and so to have it over a series means we might actually see some different tactics be employed and how athletes manage it i'm really excited to see there's so much going on we've got pto now we've got ironman we've got challenge they're just three of the major um, companies who are uh, running events and and in the pro field this has almost created a, a situation where there's actually now too many races um, which is a, a great situation if you're an up-and-coming pro who's just breaking in. The p- possibility that you could go to a race, and this just happened on the weekend here in Australia, um, Ironman Tasmania, the pro field depth was was really small amount of athletes. Um, the quality was unbelievable. There were some great athletes in the race. Um, Camp Worth, for one, um, uh, being a local Tasmanian back for that race. and And it was just made me think that, uh, you can't race every race. And I know the PTO have said there's eight races and you must do four. There will be a lot of athletes who will only be doing four, the minimum, to mm-hmm. qualify. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they wanted to do all eight, that means they are all in on the PTO and they probably can't do any other events uh, because that's that's a lot of a lot of 100K, uh, almost, you know, the equivalent of half Ironman um, four times in a season and you know a lot of the pro athletes are finding that you know originally they had to do a lot of races because there was not enough income and that was forcing their hand to continually compete and we had situations where guys were doing half Ironmans three and four weeks um, and getting mediocre results and you know you look at a guy like Jan Frodeno who would never do that and he was lucky in that he not lucky he had set himself up to to have that much financial backing that he could pick and choose the races and not be under pressure financially compared to a new professional athlete who has no backing and is trying to break into the world scene you know they're they're wanting to to compete at races that are going to give them the most value in terms of income and the opportunity to to get on the podium and so they're going to select races where the field is probably not as strong and, and that's not 
that's not a criticism. That's just a reality and a fact. And and a year like this, where you know the Olympic Games uh, is on the triathlon, and we've got the World Championships in Kona um, and in Nice for the women, uh, and the World Championships in Kona only comes around now every second year for for the male and female. So the guys who are you know have still have that passion for Kona, the 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 dream of winning Kona, which has always been the ultimate. Uh, race in in triathlon history in the last 40 years that event has been the ultimate to win in Kona is the biggest deal you can do as a triathlete in my opinion Um, so so guys are going to probably be you know a little bit conflicted as to I really want to be part of the PTO but my dream has always been Kona and there's so much clashing here and it's also an Olympic Games year and you know we're finding so many athletes are being torn from 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 uh, event to event and and they'll have to really think very clearly about how they select their programs so that they can actually peak properly and get the best out of it. Um, and the last thing I want to say is, you know, most people want to be measured on the biggest stage and the biggest stage would be the world championships or the Olympic games in your chosen sport. And so, you know, all these other races are really important for income, for notoriety, for, for announcing yourself as a, as a serious contender, but there are, you know, one or two main races uh, that you would really want to uh, be racing against the best in. And all the other races, you're there to, to do as well as you can and probably get the income that you need to survive as a professional. But the key races, the championship races, such as the Olympics and the World Championships, they're the days where you want to race everybody. They're the days when you want to see where you are against the very best and have everybody compete um, at the one time. And I think I think that still stands for most you know, pro athletes, you know, they want to do well in other races, but the key ones is where they want to be measured against, against the best. Yeah, totally. And, um, it's just the nature of being a pro athlete is you have to take money into consideration and, um, yeah, that they do want to, um, go to the world champs or go to the grand final, of the PTO and, and win that. Um, but it also, yeah, they have to think about things financially because unless you're in the top half a dozen or so of athletes your um your prize purse could be pretty small year on year and we see that with a lot of athletes being pretty open about their um, income and a lot of the time travel expenses and training expenses um to be in the sport is quite high and so yeah it's it's this funny um complex situation of decision making around how many races can I actually do what's going to be my best chance of getting a good income plus you know what about if i just you know my goal is to be world champion and that's i want to go all in on that for the fact that i just love triathlon and that's the dream so a lot of factors at play here and uh yeah we're keen to see how the, um, the year unfolds moving into today's topic and nine traits of successful athletes as i said specifically just focusing on endurance athletes here and and what we see and um, what we know of and what, we, what we've interviewed people with what we see and uh, what we hear about all athletes we've compiled what we think are nine of the best traits of the most successful athletes and what you can apply to yourself to help yourself improve and get more out of yourself and Point number one, I want to come out with uh, a bit of a bang here, and this is a quote um, that I absolutely love and I think just applies um, overall, and this is what the pros get right and often the non-pros get wrong. And the quote is, there's nothing special about high performers. They just have a set of habits, practices, and mindsets that individually aren't particularly groundbreaking, but when they're added together and compounded over a long period of time, result in the phenomenon of excellence. And I think that is just a great starting point for this is a lot of people might hear a list like this or, or see this kind of headline and think, oh, what, what's the secret sauce here? And I think overall, that is probably the key part is the the best athletes are able to just do 
the key fundamentals over and over again until they become special. Not that the fundamentals themselves are necessarily necessarily special. Great starting point. Doing doing the very average to the best of your ability is a good summary. And if if you just consistently turn up each day, like we've said many times on the podcast, you know, doesn't matter how good, bad, or mediocre the program is. If you keep turning up, you will improve. You will get better. Um, but the elite guys, they're just doing that day in, day out. They're, they're actually not doing anything special. They're, they're doing what they're required to get them ready for, for their event. And, and, you know, doing a lot of things very well will, will eventually add up to a, a lot of good components in, in your day-to-day training preparation for the race that you're embarking on. And, and that's the point of that, that, that whole quote is doing a lot of things very well. And, and you, don't, you know, we talk about, oh, geez, I had a fantastic session. You know, I just, it was a breakthrough session. I, I was out of my skin. I, I just smashed it. And then not doing much after that, uh, missing a few here and there. And, and, you know, thinking that that one session is going to be the be all and end all of, you know, this month's training. In fact, while, while you're, you know, sitting on your laurels almost about how well that session went and how great a day you had, you know, the guy who's actually going to do well on race day is, is you know, done four or five sessions you know, just very well and and he's still ahead of you. Um, and that that's the thing that I'm trying to get across to a lot of people with, with coaching is, you know, just turn up each day and, and, you know, be in the zone of what their requirements are for today's session and get that, get that done well. And you'll have a great release of chemical uh, positivity from your brain if you have the mindset of, it's not about what happens in three months' time. It's about what happens each day. And and once you start to concentrate on the important things about what's going to happen today, you, you get a great sense of accomplishment, of achievement that you've actually done one piece of the puzzle uh, that's going to make up the full the full end up end up uh, solution to the jigsaw puzzle. You know, just keep putting one piece in each day, and that's that's actually going to get you the big result, which is which is what we're all aiming for um, at the end of the day. Yeah, and if you look at the uh, Norwegian example, the notorious um, final session they did before Gustav won the World Champs at Kona a couple of years ago, and Christian was second, and social media blew up because they loaded onto their Strava their 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 final big hit out and it was I can't remember exactly it was either seven, ten or twelve days out from Kona and they basically did an Ironman <laughs> at race pace. Um, and they split it up over I think they did a you know a four K swim broken up a little bit, you know, three one K efforts. They did, you know, three sixty K or three fifty K bike efforts and, and they almost ran a marathon at race pace and it was a blistering session. And that's an example of what we're saying is that they don't do those sessions very often. You know, they do all the work leading up to that point and then they do one good session like that and that's for them um, proof of what they can do. But um, they weren't doing that every week for two years leading up trying to do the most groundbreaking session um, of all time. You know, they'd done the work to get there and then that's just their final evidence. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to look at. Point number two is um, this is really key for, for performing well is having – self-awareness now what does that mean that's for athletes that's knowing when to push hard and knowing when to back off so talk us through the difference between these two things because it's a really hard balance to get right yeah and i find the motivated athlete is probably the hardest athlete to coach because every session they want to be the high achiever and 
And that's great. That's a really good mindset to have. You're trying to get the best out of yourself every single session. And we just said that in point number one. That's our goal. But there's going to be times where you actually have to get a very good understanding of where you physically are in terms of fatigue. And and that takes a lot to be self-aware that uh, I'm struggling a little bit today and, and understanding all the factors that you could you could use to contribute to making that decision and and you know we know that people have got aura rings and um you know all of these outside um metrics that'll help us to understand what these measuring tools have have identified that our body is at the moment but the biggest one that you can use is your own self-evaluation of where you are on any given day and and i'm a big believer in resting heart rate um but it doesn't dictate to me uh, whether I train harder or harder. It, it dictates to me that, that there is something going on. Um, it, you know, the stress, stress generally, um, some, some impact stress has on your heart rate generally will indicate that, that you're thinking about something that's causing your heart rate to, to rise. So, so it could be fatigue that's causing your heart rate to rise. It could be that you're not sleeping well. It could be you haven't eaten very well. It could be there's something at work that's stressing you. It could be a family situation. These are all things that are that are going to get your your system, your body systems, to be overloading with with some amount of stress. And you know, there's there's a lot of things I just said there. So so understanding that there's something going on. That's the first thing. Self awareness and and appropriately responding by being a little bit kinder to yourself on certain days, you know, maybe Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday are my key days. So I need to be a little bit uh, less uh, excitable on the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, so that I can actually still, um, you know, really do well on the days that count. And and I think that that comes to self-awareness. If, you, if you're not aware that there's things going on in your body and you just keep pushing hard every day, you will actually end up deteriorating with your performance rather than improving. And I think, I think it's a hard one to, to, to master because it takes experience uh, and you don't get that in, in the first month of, of you starting, you know, I'm going to do a, a 70.3 or I'm going to do a half marathon or I'm going to do an epic road race and I'm just starting my training program. You don't have a lot of self-awareness about how you're going to feel. So the people who have been doing it a long time have a lot of understanding of, you know, when they're feeling like this, oh, this is a sign that I just need to take it easier. Um, and I think knowing when to take it easy and when to push is a really good trait to have that, that'll enable you to be, you know, a really quality athlete. Yeah, it is such a fine line because you would say that most endurance athletes don't have a problem with pushing themselves hard, but um, you can get complacent and you can kind of go through the motions a bit and just be um, not pushing hard enough sometimes. And then exactly what we said about point one is very rarely should you be pushing so hard that you overdo it. You know, there are, most pro athletes will tell you there aren't many sessions where they're um, emptying the well and that they're, um, they're, you know, way overdoing it. You know, for most pro athletes, it's a matter of how much, how hard can they train without crossing that line of getting injured, sick um, and ruining their consistency. So yeah, it is a fine line and there are times when you go to the well and, and completely empty it, but um, you've got to know exactly when that is and, and that's why that self-awareness point is so key and it's a trait of a really successful athlete. So point number three is, um, next level of that is having um, very well-planned attention to detail. So what do you mean by this? 
Yeah, and I look at some of the examples that we have in our coaching group and uh, one that we've talked to to on this podcast, uh, Julian Painter was an Olympian in uh, 1992 um, Atlanta Games for the 5K on the track um, and now he's turned himself into an Australian champion bike rider. Um, And one of the things that he has shown a lot of other athletes in our group is that attention to detail. And it rubs off on other people. When you spend time with someone who's been at that level, you see how fixated they are on every little detail. Every minor detail all contributes to the big plan. And like we use the example of the jigsaw puzzle, you know, there's 500 pieces. Well, every one of those pieces has a role to play. And that's the way Julian went about his training. You know, he was meticulous in knowing what session was coming up what the requirements of the session were well before, you know, at the start of the week, he was looking at every session and summing up, you know, how he was going to execute that, what time of day he was going to do it, what other things he had on his, his weekly schedule with work and with family and making sure that he, you know, he was sleeping well for the, for, you know, certain days where he knew that it was going to be a tough, tough day. He had his nutrition, you know, honed in um, and, you know, he had all the pieces in play and, and that's what attention to detail is, is, is getting a lot of things well, well organized so that you can actually uh, master the goal of the session and, and, you know, and not going off on a tangent and saying, oh, look, I actually ended up riding with or running with a couple of mates and, you know, they were doing this. So instead of me doing my tempo run today, I just went and did that hard session with them. And then I backed up the next day and did another hard session. And then the third day. Um, I didn't feel so good, so I couldn't actually do the requirements of that session. And that, that's someone who's just going off on a tangent and, and not being disciplined enough to stay in the confines of what we're trying to do. And that's, that's almost like you're not trusting the process, not trusting the program. And, you know, we know that, um, that if you buy into the program, you will get the most out of it. If your mindset is, I trust this program, I know it works, um, and don't deviate from that. There are, of course, times where, you know, you can go and do what I just said, but the next day has to change. And when you don't uh, adjust because you've made a decision about something on one day, that's what attention to detail is, is also about, is, is not just resuming the program, even though you haven't done the session properly on the day that it was required. Um, so attention to detail is making sure that you know what the session requirements are. And then if you don't do that, then you can do something about adjusting it. And, and I think that's something that's really hard for people to get without having outside, outside assistance. And, and that's where a coach comes in. Yeah, I think something like the nutri- nutrition timing is so underrated in, in that example and attention to detail because you really want to plan out which sessions require high intensity, which ones require a certain course, um, where you're going to do each session for the week, you know, when you're looking ahead. And then what, what time you're going to do it has a massive impact. If it's first thing in the morning, you know, how are you going to prepare the night before food-wise, sleep-wise, what time you go to bed in the morning? Do you need to fuel yourself before the session to get through the session properly? If you're training after work, so many times I've been caught out by, you know, you're busy at work and then you get, and you, you miss lunchtime or lunch is really late. And then suddenly you're, you're getting too close to that evening session where you actually can't afford to have too big a meal because you'll suffer, but you're starving because you haven't eaten enough. And it, really does detract from the quality of the session massively and you end up you know, not having a very good session because of it. And so um, that all comes from a lack of planning and a lack of attention to detail. Whereas when you're really planned and you've fueled really well, you can notice a massive difference in the quality of your sessions just by doing that right. So 
I couldn't agree another, more with that. Another little example, just what I was thinking, George, was, you know, for example, on a Wednesday, you were asked to do some sort of high level intensity. And then Thursday, you were asked to back up. And the coaches said, I want you to do that Wednesday morning and Thursday evening. And that gives you that extra time to do that. That's an example of, you know, okay, I've got two hard sessions on Wednesday, Thursday, and you, you just go, okay, I always train in the morning. So I'll just do that Wednesday morning and I'll just do that uh, Thursday morning. Or someone has messed up their planning and they do that hard session Wednesday night and then they wake up, oh, I normally train Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning. So they do it within an eight-hour period as compared to the first example where it's Wednesday morning to Thursday night. And that's, you know, that's, what's that, 40 hours, 36 hours different. Um, you know, that has a huge impact on the performance uh, that you can do in those two sessions. And that's what attention to detail is. Yeah. Next one is one we want to go into a bit of detail with, and it is having a high level of self-belief and confidence. And I would akin this to, you know, having a healthy amount of narcissism. And you do see that's in, this in pro athletes. And um, as a pro athlete, you have to be relatively um, self-assured, but a little bit self-absorbed to get the most out of yourself. And, you know, Full narcissism obviously isn't great, but you do have to um, have that quite confidence in your ability to handle situations, handle challenges, and get through them. Uh, it's it's one of the biggest issues I have as a coach is instilling in some of the athletes who are not that confident um, and don't have that self-belief. And then I have a whole group of others who are actually overconfident and have way too big a, uh, ego in terms of what they actually think they can do. And then we have everybody in the middle. And so the ones who are lacking self-belief, I love helping them because it's, it's really easy to, to, to assure people with really good evidence-based information. For example, if I'm saying to someone they could run, uh, feet, let's take you, you wanted to run a, uh, PB and you just did that on Saturday's uh, local park run uh, trying to break 16 minutes and you've done 16.05 to 16.30 more than 10 times and your your goal is to get under that 16 minutes and it's not a physical thing it's probably more a confidence thing uh, and a self-belief that you know if you if you do something a little bit different and and start to you know believe in what your your goal is so I can get under 16 minutes you'll more than likely achieve it you know there will be a high possibility that you won't but but if you stay with the same belief that I'm a 1605 or 1610 and I can't do any better than that you will stay there you won't improve and here you were on the weekend running a 1559 and they're great examples of um, you know you're fit enough, you know you've done the training, but you just didn't believe that you were uh, capable of that that extra percent. And, you know, once you've achieved that, um, you could talk to this, but but you know, all of a sudden you're going, you know, I, I should have been able to do that before because it was just a matter of, you know, just believing I could do it. You have to, you have to do the work, obviously, the training, but when you've done the training, you have to – I just had a conversation with myself and I said, what – why have I got this? I didn't realize how much of a belief it was, but why have I got this unconscious belief that I can't go into 16 minutes? I, um, I just realized it, it was something that was there that um, I hadn't really paid attention to. And once I asked myself that, I said, that's ridiculous. Just um, just have a crack. And if you blow up short, then you have a crack at it again another time. But uh, it really does make a big difference when you say to yourself, no, that's what I'm going for. And I'm going all out at it. Um, 
because it should theoretically be possible. So because you've done the work. So someone that I think is really the A-class example of that is Lucy Charles Barkley. She, you watch all her content and the way she talks and the way she carries herself in training and the vocabulary she uses on herself, how she refers to herself constantly as, as a world-class athlete and I want to be world champion. And she just says it over and over. And it's just a, a the gold standard example of having self-belief and confidence in yourself and not delusional confidence, you know, and not delusional self-belief, but um, just she's constantly reinforcing those beliefs in herself that it, it comes out in her training, it comes out in her racing. I think it's it's someone to really model. I, I want to add, um, I was uh, watching a YouTube video on Christian um, Blumenfeld and it was a training session and it, it what he did was what I talked about in one of our podcasts uh, I think in the first 20 or 30 episodes that we did four years ago. And I was talking about uh, um, tapering for for the biggest event of that, in that particular time in my life. And I remember running through Sherbrooke Forest. And at the end of the forest, when I come out of the forest, there's, there's bollards there to stop cars from going onto the trails. And so every time I run out of the forest, it was like me finishing my uh, event that I was that I was dreaming about, the, the Iron Man, and I'd run through those bollards and I'd put my hands in the air, you know, like an idiot on my own, no one around me, and just going, yes, you know, I've just had victory. And I was watching uh, Christian's uh, video and he, he was doing exactly the same thing. He was visualising and I thought, oh, funny, that's we, we, I did that, you know, in 1987. Here he is, he's doing the same thing and many people have done the same thing in between. You know, having that self-belief that if you're thinking about the victory and and you're doing all the work, then and then start believing it. And if you if you do all the work and you go into that race with a lack of confidence and self-belief, you'll probably not achieve the goal. And, and I think that is a that that should hit home. If you start thinking like a winner, you're more than likely going to be a winner. Your self-talk matters way more than a lot of people give credit for, and. We think that little little comments to ourselves, like um, in my example, I just I w- it wasn't even that conscious until I until I brought it to my own awareness that I just thought, oh, maybe I'll hit sixteen oh five to sixteen fifteen. Or people would say to you, "What are you aiming for this weekend?" And conservatively, I would just say, "Oh, I'm hoping for low 16s. And that's just the wrong thing to say, you know, because your self talk matters. Instead, you need to be saying over and over, "No, I'm I'm aiming to break sixteen minutes." Um, and one little tactic I did to help myself was I, I made a video on it and put it out on our page publicly. <laughs> and like, it was just a little trick to myself to say, well, no, that's my goal. You know, that's what I'm aiming for. Um, but I did a, um, with a group of mates on the weekend, we did a virtual reality gaming thing where you go to this um, center and you all put virtual reality headsets on and you play these games against each other. So it was awesome fun. And virtual reality is, is um, a ridiculous example of how the brain works. And, your brain, once you put the virtual reality goggles on, you are in this world and everything around you seems just as real as normal, um, but you're not. You're in a room and you're hooked up to a headset and you're, you've got like a little harness on so people don't run through a wall or something because it happens a lot of the time. And that's because your brain can't compute the difference between the virtual reality world and your eyes are seeing what they see in front of you and it looks like reality. Even though you're in space and we're on this moon planet and we had to complete this challenge um, and we were shooting um, aliens with guns, Um your brain still thinks it's real. Logically, you know it's not real. And the weirdest experience happened in the game where we had to walk across this um, platform and it was, if you fell off, you died in the game. But as you're walking across this platform bridge, which is um, 
10,000 meters high in, in space and you look down below you and you your heart sinks like you're looking over the edge of a building. Even though you are so aware you're in a game, you're wearing a virtual reality headset, when you look down, it's the same experience as if you were on top of a building looking down. Your body actually could, can't compute the difference of what's reality and what's not. And I played a game with myself. I thought, I'm just going to jump off for the fun of it and even if my character dies in the game. And my body seriously hesitated for me to jump off. It was so hard for me to step out off the ledge. And because when I was looking down, my body went to fight or flight response because it didn't actually know the difference. And that experience absolutely astounded me because I'm just saying to myself, just jump. It's not real. You're in a room. <laughs> like, take the headset off. But my body, it took, it took everything I had to jump off this ledge. And um, that is just such a key example of, um, the self-talk you use and the way you talk to yourself it re- is really important because your brain is listening to everything that you're, you're saying and, and perceiving. And so I think that just shows how underestimated this self-belief and self-confidence can be. I want to talk about two things. In, I know we're stuck on this point for a bit here, but this is really important, I think. Uh, the placebo, and I want to talk about going one step further with you. Um, I, I've done this many times. I've I've been on planks up, up high on buildings. Um, and it's a uh, you know only I don't know six inches wide, and when that plank is on the ground, and I walk across that plank with no problem whatsoever. I have no anxiety. I walk across that plank. The minute I put it in the air, my my whole anxiety level is at as extreme, and it's just my brain telling me to self-preservation to you know. This is a risky act that you're doing. You need to think very clearly. But when it's on the ground, the plank's on the ground, I can just walk across that plank with no fear whatsoever. And, and that is the example of what you're talking about. And the second thing I want to talk about was, you know, there's been so many examples of double-blind tests where um, uh, the, the actual uh, experimenting person and the people in the experiment have been given uh, um, drugs that are that are meant to have some effect and then drugs that are that have got sugar in it so there's there's two that. types of two types of uh of um instructions going on and even the experimenters don't know who has because that could influence the the participants as well um if the experimenting people know it, at the end of the the uh, experiment the the people who have been on the the sugar drug are sometimes getting the same uh, improvement um, whether it's testing for headaches or whether it's testing for um, you know, anything you can think of, where all these these double blind tests are, are being held around the world in science labs everywhere, um, the the placebo effect is sometimes equal or better than the actual drug itself. So giving something someone the the thought that they might be on uh, uh, um, a medication that's going to improve something, if they believe that they will actually have improvement. And and I I just think that is an example of what we're talking about. Um, if you believe in it enough yourself, that your highly level uh, of belief will allow you to improve to a point that you want to. Yeah, so those tests are especially interesting when the, the um, experimenters do intervene and they purposely tell the placebo group that um, this you're taking the drug to help you improve, so you should see big improvement here. And they just plant that in and then lo and behold that actually happens the placebo effect is still i think one of the most underrated things in science it's just incredible how 
it's just it's showing scientific proof of exactly what we're talking about, just how powerful the brain is. And I mean, we could go on for countless studies. There's, there's serious examples of anyone. People improve better from illness when they see a doctor that they know, like, and trust you know, compared to a doctor that is potentially cold or they don't like them or they don't trust them, even if the doctor prescribes the exact same treatment. You know, it's just that they believe the, the Dr. A is... Um, is going to help them more than Dr. B, even if the, the treatment is exactly the same. And so, yeah, we could go down this rabbit hole forever, but the, the placebo effect is wild, but it just shows how important uh, your self-talk is. And that brings us to the next point, which is, um, yeah, successful athletes are mentally very strong. And this is slightly different to self-belief and confidence. What do you mean by mentally strong or mentally, quote-unquote, tough? Yeah, um, you've got to be, I think, physically as well prepared as you can possibly be. But if you don't actually practice mentally, the the situations you're going to find yourself in and we're talking about endurance sport in this podcast so we know that there's going to be times in a six hour endurance event or a nine hour or a 15 hour or a 40 hour event where your your physical body is starting to wilt and and this is where the mentally strong people um, who have been training just as hard physically as they have been mentally about that self-belief about, you know, no matter what situation I'm finding myself in, I must concentrate on the things that are going to help me move forward. And, and, you know, that's the mental strength that we're trying to get our athletes to think about is, um, you know, if, if you have this practiced idea that, you know, in a training session where it's starting to get hard, you don't always take the easy option. So in any training session, when it's it's going to be a hard day se- session, and you know that it's going to be hard, this is this is an example of what you should be doing. You know, physically you're you're going to be stressed, and so I'm trying to say to to our athletes, you know, be mentally ready for this, so that when it when it does get hard, you are up for it, and you're not going to take the easy option, which is, oh, it's getting a bit harder now. I'll just make it a little bit easier so that I can get through the session. Well, these are the times where that's what practicing to put yourself through a little bit of an uncomfortable uh, period is going to enable you on the day that it counts to know that you can draw back on that experience so many times over and over and again in training to allow you to to really pull through mentally um, when you actually are put in that situation and and I know I think I've told this story before where I was in a bike race and um, it was extremely hot day. I, I absolutely overheated and dehydrated so much so that I fell off the bike, fainted off the bike and um, don't remember much about it. And, and that was a really silly thing probably to do at the time. But it just on reflection, it, it just made me realize how determined mentally I was to continue no matter what was happening to me physically. And, and I'm sure that was the, the training effect that I'd done in so many of my training sessions. And I'm not talking about running through brick walls. And I'm talking about when it gets hard, that you don't take the soft option. And that's a practice session. Mentally, geez, it's getting hard. But, I, you know, you use strategies to get yourself through the next five minutes. Okay, you know, if I can just hold this cadence or if I can just hold this running pace, uh, if I can th- get through the next 30 seconds and then, you know, uh, keep breathing, keep concentrating on my pedal stroke if I'm riding. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's going to be over soon. I've just got to get the next 30 seconds. They're little tactics that you can do all the time to get you used to dealing with, um, you know, uncomfortableness that's going to happen. It is going to happen in an endurance race. It's not an intensity uncomfortable. 
it's a it's a fatiguing physical you know Rachel talked about it in her in her podcast you know at the 30th hour when she just wanted to lie down and go to sleep Um, you know mentally she's her, her her mantra was just keep moving forward just keep moving forward and no matter what was happening around her she was so so strong that physically she was you know not coping but she had the mental capacity that's what we're talking about is is practicing that as much as you practice the physical training I would say your example was a great one of of you are so ingrained to push through that even unconsciously, when you're not even consciously aware of you do it, your unconscious still decided that that was what needed to happen, that you needed to get to the finish. So that for me is an example of, of that was your mental decision going into the race, if this is the outcome I want and you were going for that no matter what. And the most successful athletes do it all the time. They don't shy away from the challenge. When the challenge is there, they step up and they say, I want it to come down to me, you know, and and often it's like the quarterback saying, give me the ball. And they would rather them take the shot at it, have a go and then fail, than rather not try. And some people would rather not try because it's the pressure is too much. But, um, you know, the most successful athletes want to take on the challenge and and the race, regardless of the outcome, they just want to have a crack at it. And some people will shy away from a, from a tough race or a tough challenge because, um, yeah, they're going to let the, the nerves or the doubt get, get over them. And one key example, we love using sporting examples, but... Um, in the Aussie Rules Football Grand Final last year, it was coming down to the wire in the last five minutes of the game, and um, the um, one one of the teams was a goal down, and the best players go into the center for the restart of the game, and the captain of the team that was a goal down was walking back to center, and one of the best young players in the competition, it was his it's his second year in the comp, um, was walking to the center as well, and and he kind of said to the captain, "Oh, do you want me? Do you want me to leave here? Do you want to bring someone else in? Because it's a really important part of the game." And the captain just looked at him and said are you joking? Like, this is this is where we win the game. You know, this is where we, we win the final and you don't want to be in here. He said, you know, kind of pull your head in, get in here and, and let's win this. And they went down and scored a goal and they ended up winning the game. And for me, that just shows unbelievable belief from that captain. And it's a young player and he's inexperienced, but he's just said, no, this is our chance to win the game. And I want it on our shoulders. I don't want to give that responsibility to any other player. And I just absolutely love that. Yeah, there's so many examples in team sports, like penalty shootouts in soccer, where, mm. you know, you have to be really mentally tough to 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 cast aside the pressure that you know the world cup soccer penalties shoot out far out it doesn't get any bigger than that olympic mm-hmm. games you know the world's every, everywhere where the world is actually watching how mm-hmm. you uh stand up or or fall down in in certain situations you gotta be pretty mentally mentally resilient um to to cast aside all of the things that are creating the pressure um, and 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 concentrate on the things that you know, and that's what mental toughness is. Um, concentrating on the things that are going to allow you to perform. And that's the sort of person you want to you want to be yourself. Where you don't, as you said earlier, you don't want to shy away from um, a tough situation. You want to step up and go, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm capable of doing that. And in an endurance event where we're talking about, you want to have that trait that. No matter how how tough it is physically, you're mentally uh, strong enough to to work your way through whatever the difficultness of the situation you find yourself in. Which is a perfect segue to the next point, which is um, uh, be process driven, not outcome driven, and that's what successful athletes do. They just focus on the process. So how do they get through the pressure of a penalty shootout? How do they get through the pressure of you know the last shot of the game? Is they just follow the process they've done thousands of times and they don't think about that end result. And we have spoken about that a lot on the, on the podcast. It's, it's trust in the process and there's so many examples of that. But um, 
you can trust the process when you've done it a thousand times in practice and so you know it works and then you don't have to worry about the outcome and and yeah that's what these players do routine is really good uh thing to to be practicing routine routine allows you uh to be process driven and allows you to concentrate on the things that are important. And, and I talk about that in our pre-race uh, discussions with our athletes before their, their big events. I talk about being in the moment. And, and that's what uh, routine does. Uh, routine uh, gives you a structure to, to concentrate on what's actually happening. And, you know, I have used the example of, um, you know, a soccer player who, who has to take a penalty kick and he, he puts the ball down. That, you know, every, he knows all the pressures on him. If they score, they win. If they, if they, if he misses, they lose. And that's as simple as as that is. All he needs to concentrate on is not that. He needs to put that out of his mind. If I score, I win. If I don't score, we lose. That is the process that he needs to get rid of. The process he needs is my routine is I put the ball down. I go back ten steps. I run in at this angle. I strike my my foot on the inside exactly where I know I've done it. 400 times in training and I follow through with the best follow through that I can aiming at the left-hand side of the, of the actual goals. If he does all those things well and the goalkeeper saves it, there's nothing more he can do. He has done the process right and he has followed uh, the, the key things that are going to contribute to him executing that actual penalty shootout. And he's, he's not driven by if I win if I shoot, if I score, I win. If I miss, I lose. That is not helping um, him score the goal. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, I had a really interesting example on the weekend. I don't want to go on about a little 5K PB, but it was just hilarious, the self-talk that was happening coming up in terms of like fear and doubt about the process and worried about the outcome. But um, I got to the warm-up of the race and I just felt so average. I had a really poor night's sleep. Um, I ate some... Um, lamb at lunch the day before i had pasta at dinner but at lunch i had some lamb and it did not sit right for the next 24 hours which doesn't happen often but i woke up and i seriously had i had kind of stomach pain the whole morning um, and i also did a gym session on the friday which you'd argue why are you doing a gym session before you know a race on saturday but it was it's very much a c race it was just a 5k time trial and so i didn't want to interrupt my training where you can miss a, a gym session um, based on that but i woke up really sore on the saturday as well so in the warm-up, things weren't going well mentally for me. I felt horrific and my route, I felt a bit out of my routine and um, I didn't feel how I would normally feel before a race where I'm trying to put in my best effort. And I started to say to myself, oh, today is maybe not the day. You know, it's all these, all this ridiculous self-talk kind of came in. And I just said to myself, shut the fuck up, <laughs> toughen up a little bit. And you don't have to have this perfect warm-up routine to, to race as hard as you can. And um, again, it's trusting the process. The work's all been done. Just because I don't feel, you know, 100% on top of everything doesn't mean that should stop you from from performing well and it was a great example of um, for myself that things don't have to be perfectly in line and all the ducks have to be in order to put out a good effort yeah it's a great example and look I look at some of the the best coaches and team sports around the world and you know from an Australian point of view uh, we've got one particular coach Ange Postacoglu who's who's been very successful locally here in Australia as a, as a, a football soccer coach. And he's gone overseas to Asia and, and as you know, everywhere he goes, his team that he coaches wins the championship. And there aren't too many coaches that can do that. And now he's gone from Asia and he's gone to the next uh, level, which is in the Scottish championship. And he's taken, you know, one of the famous clubs, Celtic, who we're big supporters of to two, two championships in a row um, when they were, you know, probably on their knees when he came and took over. So it's not like he took over a winning team. 
Uh, and then now he's gone to Tottenham Hotspur, which is one of the biggest English clubs um, in in the UK. And, you know, he's up there in the top four positions right now. And, you know, I'm sure he's learning a lot. But one of the um, reporters asked him, you know, are you, are you hoping to get some trophies? Um, you know, and he said uh, in his typical uh, Ange way, I can show you a whole shelf of trophies that I've won. You know, I believe in what I'm doing and I, all I've got to do is make sure the players are on board with, with my self-belief and it, they just have to trust the process that, that this process works. That's why I've got all these trophies from every uh, country that I've uh, coached a football team in. I have won that championship, that national championship, and I'm going to do the same with Tottenham Hotspur. And, you know, that confidence and that, Trusting in the process is what he gets his players to buy into. And that's why they are successful because he's he's done that so well. He's got them based on that process driven where, you know, trust this process and we will get this result. And it yeah. might not happen straight away, but it will happen. And the way that you can trust the process, as we just mentioned, you know, it's it's being very well prepared physically that because you've done the work and that means you can trust the process. And that's really true for a lot of athletes getting to the start line. You'll either get there knowing that you've done the work or you know you haven't done the work. And um, you, a lot of the nervous anxiety is relieved when you know you've done it. And that's why that's how you can really trust the process because you're as well prepared poss- as possible physically. And that's kind of our next point is um, when you do that, the outcome will take care of itself. And those, and those two points kind of tie in together Um trusting the process, but also doing the work. That's what successful athletes do. You know, they do the work so that they can trust the process and not have to be outcome driven. So the last couple, um, I'm just going to say, George, before you go to the last couple, um, that, that being well-prepared physically combines with self-belief, self-confidence, mentally strong. They're all, all intertwined, trusting the process. Um, I, you know, for Ironman, when you're standing on the beach, you have that self-belief and confidence, you are mentally strong. You know the process you have to go through. You are very well prepared. So you you are standing there at ease. You know, the anxiety levels are minimal compared to the people around you who have lacked everything that we've just talked about. And so I just think that can't be underestimated. You know, that sense of calm that you can get when you know that you're well prepared uh, will will give you those things, self-belief, the confidence, the mental toughness, and, and will drive you to trust the process that the execution you're going to do on the day is going to give you the outcome you want. I think they all are intertwined, all of those points we've talked about. Second last point that successful athletes do is that they rely on themselves and they control what they can control uh, and everything else is irrelevant and they don't let external factors um, try and influence their process or their outcome. Yeah, what a beauty, isn't it? Um, it's time to stand up for yourself now and and all the help you've been given from from the whole journey you've been on inevitably it comes down to you have to do it and i think i think that is a tough thing for a lot of people is oh geez it's up to me now and i think that's one of the reasons why i probably left team sport was because i wanted to be totally in control of the outcome and i didn't want to rely on others who may not be as uh, as into it as I am, and I'm, I'm really, I, I was probably a poor teammate because anybody who didn't contribute the way I felt they should have, I was really hard on them. Um, and I think, I think at the end of the day, you know, 
you're better off in a sport where you have to rely on yourself um, and you're not going to get upset at other people um, because they're not putting in the, the effort that you that you want them to compared to what you're doing. And and this is the time where you can stand up or and be counted or not. And and I thrive on, uh, you know, being tested and, um, you know, I can use this year as an example. The last 12 months is probably the most I've ever been tested with my fitness levels and trying to get back to where I was from, from um from where i you know what i was able to to do seemingly no problem and and now it's time to to really dig deep and uh and and you know trust all the things we've been we've been saying but but i absolutely believe that uh you know if you if you stand up when it counts that you know that'll give you confidence in itself for the next time and and you know you've got to you've got to know that when when uh everything else is you know the world around you. If you're standing on the start line at a marathon or or a, or a road race or or a triathlon, there's so much noise around you. You've just got to cut that out and just say, "Today, now, this is my time." Yeah, it's it's simple as that. And um, I think we put far too much energy sometimes into things outside of our control. And this can happen. You know, if something before a race throws you off, it's like, "Well, what are you going to do?" If you if you can change something about it, then change it. But if you can't, then don't let that impact your um, your performance and most importantly, what you can do on the actual day. So last one, um, an understanding of key moments. And I want you to kind of explain this, but um, it's kind of, you start going into it a little bit before when you go in the race, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be tested and it's your ability to perform in those moments that counts. Um, yeah, a good example would be um, just on the weekend, we had a race called the Melbourne to Warney, which we've talked about on the podcast. It's a 267 kilometer uh, endurance race. It's one of the oldest races in the world. It's been going for over 110 or 20 years. Um, and it's it's just an epic journey uh, for amateurs and for um, some elite riders in uh, in Victoria here in Australia. And and it's a big race. It's uh, it's one of the ones that's on the calendar for everybody to, to, to aspire to. And not everybody can complete this race and get the, the Warney medallion, which is um, held in high esteem. Um, but but one of the things of understanding key moments and one of the athletes that one of our coaches, Nick, was in this race and, and we talked a lot before the race about being aware of what's happening around you and 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 knowing that this is a key point in the race that's going to be determining the outcome and your ability to keep concentrating and so that you can automatically respond to the situations that you're seeing and that are rising in front of your eyes that is the thing that's going to make good decisions happen. And and if you're not concentrating throughout this hunt, whole 267 kilometres, then you're possibly going to miss those key moments. And and I'm talking about a bike race where there could be up to 30 or 40 different attacks. And you can't be in every single attack. So it's understanding when the right attack goes up the road, who's in that group? Are they the key riders that you should be worried about? Or are they riders who are not so important in the teams that are in you know you see this in the tour de france or the or the giro or the welter you know riders that aren't expected to to finish in the in the results are being sent up the road um to to you know for tactic reasons it could be so that the, you know, the guys in their team get an easier ride because they don't have to contribute to, to the chase and this is the same thing that's happening in this this event understanding who's going in the break and is that break worth chasing because there's someone in that race who you think is a threat to winning the race and and these are these are examples of understanding what's happening in the situation you find yourself every minute of that actual event you're in 
And that takes a lot of concentration. You should be exhausted after the race mentally as much as you are exhausted from riding 267 kilometers, which is going to take you six hours of basically the hardest riding you'll ever do. So, so being in the moment we talked about before, understanding when the key moments are and making good decisions. And normally that people who hesitate normally miss those key moments. So you, you want to make it automatic. When you see something happen, your response has to be, I move now. I don't wait five seconds because waiting five seconds could be, mean the difference between you having to bridge a gap of 300 metres compared to a gap of 10. And and they're the key moments we're talking about. And the classy world-level world people, world-level athletes who are the most successful have a great understanding of key moments and what to do in those situations. Um, and, and also what, you know, what will what will contribute positively to make the situation better. And I think and, that's a really hard one to get. And it's not just bike racing. It's it's in any endurance band, especially a triathlon. You're going to be faced with constant decisions and you've got to be really concentrating to make sure that you have an understanding of where the key moments are in the race and where you really need to step up as an athlete and, and push that next level to get the best result for yourself possible. And that's what we're talking about here. So I want to finish by asking you, Dad, you've undoubtedly had a very successful career, both as a pro and a master's athlete. And what do you think a trait of yours is that you leaned on to help you succeed? Oh, that's a tough one, Jordan. Um, I'm hesitating because it's just not one thing. There's so many things that contribute to it. So I kind of want to maybe mention a few things mm -hmm. that would be helpful to, to people who are really looking for the golden nugget and there's never one golden nugget so it's a lot of little coins that I'm throwing into the, that one golden nugget here and and I think um, preparation probably should be at the top um, uh, knowing what the requirements of the event are is one of the things that I think I have a good uh, grasp of and therefore I implement that into the training sessions as, as closely as I can um, the second thing I do well, I have done well in the past is I've grain, gained great confidence from from those experiences in those races. Um, and you know, if you've never had good experiences and you've never been successful, how do you how do you how do you go to that to that avenue or that well to, to try and get that uh, information? Well, you've just got to trust the process from the start. So once you get that that first confidence boost of improvement, it doesn't have to be a, a win or a victory. It's just that you achieve something that you thought you couldn't do before. Get many of those situations in training, in B races, C races, gain confidence in those situations so that when it comes to the important day, you backed yourself in with the right preparation. Now you've got confidence that you can actually execute the way you should be. Um, and, you know, no matter what the situation I found myself in, I, I know that I can work it out. That, that would be a, a third thing that I think um, I do okay at, uh, you are going to have roadblocks in, in most events that you're in, that you have to think of a way, whether it's a mechanical or you're getting cramp or physically, um, you're not feeling that good. Um, you're feeling unwell, but you're in a situation where you can either make, you know, one or two decisions. Um, I'm going to trust in all of my, my good preparation and my, my confidence and my mental strength to get through this. Or I'm just going to fold and, and, you know, 
just give up and that's just not in my DNA. Um, it's just, it's just not part of who I am. And I think that unwavering confidence in my ability to perform is going to be the one thing that stands out, I think. Um, um, and then I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, got a, a self-belief in the processes that I've, that I've, uh, done before. I know they work just like, um, the Ange Postacoglu example, um, a successful formula you try to refine every time you come to a, a new campaign um, you learn from the experiences you've had previously and and they're all in your kit bag they're all the things that that you that you can use when it counts and so you know backing yourself in is is almost arrogant but but you have to have that otherwise you're you're going to be the same athlete time and time again. So you have to do something different. If if the situation has been that you've multiple seconds, thirds, fifths, tenths, you know, but you just haven't cracked that, that one victory, it only takes that one victory and the next time you know you can do it. And and why is that? That's just a mental state that we have in our DNA that, that you know, we don't believe it until we actually do it. Um, and, and that shouldn't be the case. You sh- you know, you should be aspiring to that victory, even though you haven't achieved it before. Because if you don't aspire to that, like we said before, it won't happen anyway. You've, you've got to believe that it can happen. And if you're in that that uh, that situation where you're still not confident enough, and I have plenty of athletes in this position um, that they don't believe they can do it, and until they start believing um, and gain some confidence from from some small wins, um, and I don't mean winning as in victory, I mean small successes. Um, in in their preparation, that that absolutely gives you more belief that you can actually achieve what you're trying to trying to do. Um, I know an example I would use is one of our athletes is is an unbelievably successful time trialer, and when he first came to us, he was he was a really fit, really well rounded bike rider, but he had no success as a time trialer or as a road racer or as a criterium, but really, really doing well all the time. And the difference that we, that we instilled in him was uh, training differently and then executing differently. And then all of a sudden in a time trial situation, he started to improve. He started to win races. He started to improve his speed. He started to improve his power. And then that converted into starting to win races. And it's got to a situation now where he doesn't lose any time trials. And, you know, he's probably lost one time trial in the last five years. And, and and that would, you would think that that would make him trust that he could do that in a criterium or a road race. And I, w- I want to use this example because I know that this, this athlete, once he starts to get confidence and, and belief that he can do this just equally as well in a time trial as he can do in a road race or a criterium, and he will start to be successful, and it's just a matter of time. And there's a whole lot of things that go into that to make that success work. But in a time trial, you're only relying on yourself, and there's there's really no other tactics except you executing properly. Whereas in a criterium or a road race, there's your physical fitness, which is really strong for this athlete, but the tactics is is where he needs to have confidence in. And I think I think that's one thing that that I have done very well, and and you're quite good at that too Jordan I don't understand why uh, you can all of a sudden get go into a race situation find yourself in the break you, you know you're really good at um, at understanding uh, when to the key moment is and that's what we've been talking about in this whole 
uh, what are the key traits? You do that very well in, a, in an event that you're not experienced in, yet you you have that un, unwavering self-belief that, that oh, that's the moment I need to be there. Um, and I think I think that that uh, backing yourself in and and having confidence is something that that takes time. And eventually, if you if you believe it enough, uh, you will you will have that trait. And finally, I think I'm a person who's absolutely willing to lose to win. And, and I'll, I am a measured athlete. There's no doubt about it. And in endurance sport, you, you can't be um, risking um, stupidly. You have to risk with, with a mindset that's calculated. And, and I, will, I will do everything to win. And if that means risking uh, out of my comfort zone, uh, and possibly losing because of it, I'll do that. And and I'm very happy to risk um, to a certain point. Um, and if and if that risk becomes too great, the fact that I'm going to lose, well, I'm prepared to wear that because my goal is to get the best outcome I can. Um, but I'm still I'm still going to not go outside of the box to to an extreme ridiculously. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to push myself to a point where. You know, if it means that I'm, you know, going to actually blow up, then I'm willing to do that. That's actually one bonus trait you notice in yourself. I notice in you and a lot of successful athletes is um, the willing to lose it factor. Is they don't see losses as failures; um, they see it as learnings, and um, that's a really, really key trait. I think is uh, if a race doesn't go to plan, um, the most successful athletes learn from it and grow and get better because of it, and choose. Okay, well, that didn't work what do we learn for next time? Whereas uh, the non-successful people tend to go in their shell after that or lose confidence. And that is a really key difference. So massive episode today. We probably didn't expect to go this long as always, but uh, it's really an interesting topic to talk about and and to look at pro athletes and and see what the best ones do and, and how they approach things mentally. So that's it for this episode. Thanks always for listening, as always for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.